This is your Wednesday Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand. We got a lot to get to today, you guys. I'll have Jeff Day on the show in a little while. Jeff works at the Star Tribune, has for quite some time now, um, and is going to help me out with this story on St. Thomas and just kind of how that program is transitioning to Division One, particularly its football program. I'm going to answer a whole bunch of of your questions as well. Got some Ben Simmons stuff with the latest on that and him not reporting to training camp and saying he'll never play for the 76ers again. Interesting. My antenna is up. Um, Got a a chicken finger 69 statement. Um, A question about Mike Zimmer and Rick Spielman um, and a bunch of other good stuff from you guys. So appreciate that. We'll run through a whole bunch of those at the end of the show as well. But first, what did I miss? Well, the big story on uh, on Tuesday was these end of the stalemate between the Wild and Kirill Kaprizov got a deal done. In the end, the term ends up being five years, $45 million, about $9 million per season. That part of it, not surprising. I wrote on August 11th, I believe, um, for the love of the Wild, just get Kirill Kaprizov signed already talking about how neither side has a whole ton of, you know, whole ton of leverage. Um, you know, the Wild's leverage was that Kaprizov can't sign anywhere else. Kaprizov's leverage is, oh, he could just uh, tank it by, you know, not signing and, you know, playing in Russia. But his his leverage wasn't that great. So basically, the point of that was to say, these sides need each other. They need to get a deal done. Let's get it done already. It took a long time. But Back then, I did write the easy answer is a five-year deal for $9 million per season, which is exactly what he ended up signing. So seems like in the end, both sides just kind of figured it out, especially Kaprizov's side. I'm sure the Wild might have liked to sign him for an extra year or two. But in the end, I think five years is pretty good for the Wild. You get you know, you get it's not just like a three-year deal where he's going to hit free agency right away again. And for Kaprizov, Gives him another swing at free agency in his prime. He will be 29 next time he hits free agency. Um, and that uh, you know that will be a time where he could really cash in with another long-term contract, assuming he continues on the arc that he showed last season when, let's face it, he transformed this franchise, right? That, that's why the Wild needed him. He was the Calder winner. He you know clearly was the most dynamic player on this team, changed the outlook, the trajectory for this team. Now... The big question now becomes, how do you support Kaprizov and the rest of the players on the roster when a lot of the heaviest parts of his contract are going to come during the heaviest parts of the Zach Parisi and Ryan Suter buyouts? Just looking at the wild salary cap now this year, they're in they're in fine shape because the Parisi-Suter buyouts don't hit too hard this season. There's only about $4.7 million dead cap on the books this year from Suter and Parisi. Wild making that work, getting it done, still should be able to field a competitive team this season, especially if some of their young players like Matt Boldy and Marco Rossi step up this season. Now, it gets a little complicated in future years, the next three after this in particular, because those are the years where the Suter and Parisi buyouts count $12.7 million next season, $14.7 million the year after that, $14.7 million the year after that. They're really going to need those young players they're really going to have to make some hard decisions because they've still got guys like Jonas Brodeen, Jared Spurgeon, Joel Eriksson Ek, even some years of Matt Zuccarello, and of course Kaprizov now under contract for pretty big terms once you get into those heavy buyout years for Parisi and Suter. 
Now the nice thing about this deal is you do get an extra year. You get a, you get the, the 2025-26 season, which will be the last year of this contract, um, where you're you're almost done paying off that buyout. The dead cap on the Parisian Suter deals is only 1.6 million. Once you get to the last year of this Kaprizov deal, so you should be able to start thinking about how you're going to pay other guys at that point. So it's going to be a balancing act. Uh, Bill Guerin knew that going in. And we're going to hear from him uh, sometime today. Hopefully have some uh, some content from Bill Guerin on tomorrow's podcast, by the way, along with Sarah McClellan from the, Wild, uh, from the Star Tribune, uh, who covers the Wild for the Star Tribune. So we'll get into this in much more depth on, uh, on Thursday's show, but it's going to be interesting to see how they navigate that piece of it. That was always going to be a question, but now that you see, I'm just looking at Cap Friendly right now, now that you see the numbers in black and white, you kind of see how much they've committed to certain years. There's going to be some decisions to make on players. Kevin Fiala, this is a big year for him because he's just signed that one-year contract, and he's, again, a restricted free agent next year. Um, you know, it's, it's going to be a hard decision probably on Matt Dumba coming up at some point, although he had a really good season last year. So what do you do there? Do you pay three defensemen you know, upwards of $20 million um, on, on your cap? How much does the NHL cap go up over the years? Does it, does it start to accelerate again, or is it flat? Um, as as we start to re- emerge uh, at some point from the uh, the post COVID economic landscape, I don't know. Bottom line though is they had to get this done. They got it done. They got him in before camp starts, which is nice. Won't be a camp distraction. Won't be the story lingering. Instead, they can talk about this as a positive story, and they can talk about how they want to get better for next season. And Kaprizov will be obviously a huge part of that. I'm Chris Hine, Timberwolves beat writer at the Star Tribune and the first five-time guest in daily delivery history. Thank you for listening to this podcast. This work is made possible by our Star Tribune subscribers. For unlimited access to the articles mentioned in this podcast, our coverage of Minnesota sports from pros to preps, and even all of Rand's future blog posts about how the Timberwolves should trade for players they will never get, go to startribune.com slash subscribe. I'd like to welcome Jeff Day onto Daily Delivery, first-time guest, um, Star Tribune multimedia writer, producer, expert, does a lot of different things at the Star Tribune and does them all very well. And I want to talk to Jeff about St. Thomas football today. Jeff, how are you uh, doing today? And welcome to Daily Delivery. Well, first, I, I think it's important, expert. We just need to strike that from the record, but I am a uh, multi-platform editor. I do do a little bit of everything, and so uh, I'm doing well. And, and St. Thomas football is something that I've gotten to um, start learning about and meeting some of the players and staff and following that team as they go D1 has been, you know, really fun and interesting. So um, it's something I'm excited to talk about. Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting story. I mean, just their whole transition to Division One across the board. I've talked to you know, Rachel Blount about that a couple times for, for this podcast, but now it's real. I mean, they're, they're playing games. They played the Gophers in volleyball uh, a little while ago. They've played two football games already. They're one and one. Now they get to play, you know, get to enter their conference schedule and their home schedule Saturday against Butler. So as they've kind of made this transition, obviously football is, you know, going to be the one of the bigger challenges, I would imagine, just the size of the roster, the way you recruit in football. Like in basketball, you could get, you know, reasonably competitive in a couple of years if you get a couple of good recruiting classes. Football probably takes a while. So how, do, how are they feeling right now about kind of this leap and, and how it's going so far? Well, the thing that I've noticed um, just in, in talking with some of the folks in their athletic department and talking with 
Glenn Caruso and even some of the players, I think there's a general feeling of excitement, um, A, to just be playing games again. They've had such a long break. Um, B, to be going on this on this journey. I mean, it is, like you said, it is sort of the turning of a tanker. You're not just going to all of a sudden decide, hey, we're a Division One football team and everything's going to go perfectly and we're going to be um, as good as, you know, Rutgers or something. They, they have to um, build this slowly. And I think when you look at something like UNI last week, or even when the St. Thomas volleyball team played the Gophers, you kind of see the litmus test. You say, okay, um, we're going to go play some really, really good competition. <laughs> you know, some of it, when it comes to FCS football, UNI is one of obviously the best uh, in that division and has been for a long time. When you look at D1 volleyball, obviously the Gophers and Hugh McCutcheon are some of the most, you know, um, excellent players and program in the country. So they're getting this taste of, of the top level of, of some of these areas that they're trying to get into. And I think the overall feeling that I've noticed at least, and one that's really, <clears throat> I think, enjoyable just as a sports fan is just the overall excitement. This is very much so seemingly a learning experience for them. It's not like this has been some long-term pre-planned goal, a 20 year project to make this move. And so there is sometimes this element of, we don't know what's going to happen. We are learning as we go. And while every uh, sports program, whether it be the Vikings or the Gophers, um, will say things like that, I think in this instance, you truly have a university that is out on a limb saying, what's going to happen as we do this? And, um, you know, I, like, like I said, there's something really exciting about that. And, and the access that they give us to players, to coaches, the ability to just observe that has been uh, really rewarding as a journalist. I've enjoyed doing it a lot. As you've done that so far, what have you observe from players i mean just excitement level whether it's you know just the eye-opening experience of being in division one or what, what are some of the things that you've kind of observed at least so far well and th this goes back to what i said at the beginning this is really important for me to clarify i i, I because i am not an expert on saint thomas football and i am i a lot of the reporting i've done has been observational um and then mixed with some interviews but what i see and what is so exciting um, after a year and a half or two years of living sort of a more closed existence is just the enthusiasm. There is such a kind of youthful invigoration that comes from <laughs> watching these players and these athletes get excited. It's like, oh, is there some gigantic challenge in our way? Um, well, that's okay. Let's go out and see what happens. And the thing that I noticed in watching the football team practice a number of times was that it was obvious that that coaching staff had built a um, structure in place that was obviously working at the D3 level very well. And it sure seems like they're just segueing it to a division one uh, platform. It's not like they're making some gigantic change to how they do things. They're just going to see how their identity and their um, systems work on a larger level, but everything is just so coordinated and controlled and they clear. But then again, this goes back to what we were talking about before they also are having to see how is this going to work at sure. this level? And that's, that to me is um, what's going to make this entire season interesting. It's what's going to make the next couple of years interesting. And um, you know, the pioneer league seems to be, I don't think they're going to meet. I, I guess I'd have to look if they're going to meet a team as talented as you and I, the rest of the way, I think sure. you'd be hard pressed to find that. Um, and I know that in the preseason, there were some people who thought they could, they could play with some of these pioneer league teams. And I'm sure that there's some excitement in kind of, okay, we went to Houghton, Michigan to play Michigan Tech. Yeah, D2 team. But again, the longest road trip St. Thomas has taken as a football team in who knows how long. 
and outside of some playoff games and to go open your first kind of football game in, in, in 18 or 20 months or whatever, and, and go on the road and win a close game. And then you go down to UNI, like we've talked about one of the best FCS programs in the country and you hang with them. You don't, you're not maybe on the quite the same playing field, but that first half, they were two scores away. They were, they hung in the third quarter, their offense couldn't get going, but their defense was really pretty dang good and turnovers hurt them and things like that. But again, it was kind of this feeling of where are we, what are we doing? And I think they can come home and go into this Butler game and say, we can play, we can, we can play. We're not, we're not getting completely embarrassed. Uh, and we're one and one, which is better than some of the you know other football teams in the state. So not bad. That is true. When you find a way to win close games, not lose close games. I don't want to cast aspersions on any pro local teams here, but uh, that is a, that is exciting. That that said, um, we imagine you know, and, and they they're fully aware of it that there's going to be lumps along the way with with this transition. They're not expecting to win right away. That said. They were essentially kicked out of their old conference because they were too good, because they won too much across the board in sports. And, you know, now this transition to division one, I imagine this, this piece of it, like the, 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 the knowledge or the, 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 the mental side of, yeah, we know we're going to lose is different than the actual, oh man, we just got, we just lost. Even if it was, you know, even if it was a competitive loss, even if you lose 44 to three or whatever the final was, against Northern Iowa after, you know, things got a little lopsided at the end, that's got to feel different than intellectually knowing that you're going to lose some of these games. (laughs) Yeah, I think you're probably right. I think that uh, I'm sure that that is what the coaching staff is talking about this week is, okay, how do we take what happened and, and learn from it and find a way to navigate it? I mean, one of the things that, you know, I went to St. Thomas a long time ago. And um, when I went there, I graduated in 2007. And when I went there, the athletics program was not some beacon of excellence. And um, when I went on campus, it was the first time I had been on campus since I graduated. And this athletic center, which apparently opened after I graduated and has been there for 10 years, which I don't want to do that math exactly. But um, to me, I was looking at it going, I can't believe this is here. I can't believe what I'm seeing in terms of just how um, they have incorporated that into the football field, into that part of campus. And so there was a part of me looking at it going, yeah, this doesn't feel like quite the same program. But it does surprise me that in that 14 years or whatever, they have gone from being an athletic, you know, department athletics program that was maybe average in Division Three and in the MIAC to completely ostracized from the conference and, <laughs> right. and forced to make this move. It's like it, it, it for me, it was very much a uh, through the looking glass at St. Thomas as a athletics department. And part of what to me is fascinating um, is that the whole department is having to go through this. It is not just the players. It's not just the coaches. It's like, okay, how do you as an SID, how do you as an athletics director, how do you as a campus, how do you kind of um, build this new reality? You know, when it comes to things like media requests, when it comes to attention and coverage, when it comes to expectation and all of those kind of things, it's been one of the interesting elements of when you write about St. Thomas, you know, the reason that we're covering them is because again, this is a very rare thing. It's not common for a a program to make this kind of leap. Um, I think we've seen that it's happened twice in the history of collegiate athletics. And so it's interesting. And one of the things that remains uh, interesting to me is that people still kind of have this viewpoint towards them as a program, this kind of disdain. And I, I don't, fully understand that. And that kind of comes from the fact that to me, they're just a program that really started 
um, ascending, and then quickly were removed from the equation and and hostility kind of bred in the, in that ground. But when I look at them now, to me, it's like you're starting over in a way. Sure, whatever successes and 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 accomplishments you have had, just like you said, the intellectual element of we're going D one is much different than the reality of, Hey, you and I just beat us 44 to three. We're playing in a 16,000 seat dome stadium, uh, against a team that just took Iowa state toe to toe in Ames, um, two weeks ago. You know, these are, these are gigantic leaps for this program and we're going to keep seeing it. They got thrashed by the Gophers in volleyball because you're playing the Gophers in volleyball. They're right. one of the best teams in the country. So I, I don't know. I like all of it. I find it all re- really, really interesting. And I think they're, they have the right attitude towards it. And I'll be very curious to see how they do with, with Butler. Cause like, like I said, I think that some of these pioneer league teams, they'll be able to, to hang with. I think that's interesting too. Last thing on this subject for you, Jeff day, enjoying this conversation. Let's do this again soon talking St. Thomas or whatever it might be. I'll be interested really to see, and this will kind of be up to us kind of to a certain degree too, and the decisions we make as a media company and others do too. I'll be interested to see kind of what place they kind of carve out in the division as as a division one program, what, what kind of coverage they get, how people view them, because obviously they will not be on the same level as the university of Minnesota, which is, you know, a big 10 school, the flagship university, but you know, outside of hockey, University of Minnesota has never had any competition at the division one level. Now you have a school across the board that has done this. And if in five years they're having a level of success in some of these sports, I will be very interested to see kind of how that gets treated in this marketplace. Well, I think it's okay to kind of air some of this because I think it is interesting that we as a department have had to have these discussions to discuss how do we cover this team? What, what is their relationship to our readership? And one of the unique elements of them, as opposed to say Minnesota Duluth or Mankato or St. Cloud is that they are here. Yes. The St. Thomas campus is as close to my house in Minneapolis as, as Dinky town. And so there is this part of, they are going to compete for Metro players. We saw it just a couple of days ago, they landed a big um, basketball recruit whose name is going to evade me. So we'll just leave it as it is. Um, but they landed a kid who 247 had as, you know, one of the five best players in the state. And, and I think, you know, top 100 nationally and people, you know, ranking services are what they are, but nonetheless, that yeah. kid is a name and they grabbed him. And that's the kind of element that you're talking about is, you know, what does this look like? And part of it too is um, they're going to be a part of that as well. I, and it's what I really like about it is that it does feel new. And even when I was talking um, when they signed their new deal with KSTP and I was talking with their play-by-play announcer and he was saying, this is part of the joy of this. There are now only two division one programs in football in the state of Minnesota, two division one basketball programs. And they are carving out what they want to be in this landscape. And um, kind of, as we alluded to earlier, this was not some long-term plan on their part. They're having to do it on the fly. And I'm telling you, if you go over there and you talk to their sports athletic people, you talk with their coaches, you get that sensation, which is we're seeing what's happening as it happens. And then you make your next move. And that's really exciting to me as a, as a, just as a journalist and as a sports observer, because so much of the sports landscape feels settled and we know what yes. to expect a missed field goal here, uh, you know, a road win there, but this is like, well, we have no idea what's going to happen week to week. Absolutely. We do know though, that they're going to play their first division one home football game Saturday against Butler. We don't know what's going to happen, but again, that is, 
as Aaron Rodgers would say, the beautiful mystery of it all. Um, well, great, great catching up with you, Jeff Day. Really interesting stuff. Interesting to interested to read what else you have cooked up as you get to know these guys even more. Follow that coverage, Star Tribune, startribune.com. And uh, yeah, Jeff, let's do this again soon. All right. All right. Thanks, Michael. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with Jeff Day. Just an interesting look at St. Thomas, what's going to be an interesting transition for them to Division One. that's, you know, in the midst right now. They're actually playing games, and we'll see, you know, how long it will take. I, I hope that at some point they, you know, there's a, a competitive rivalry that develops with the Gophers in certain sports, particularly basketball sport, where you get three, four players, and suddenly you can compete on that level. You know, a smaller school can compete with a bigger school and become, you know, become something pretty, pretty cool in this market. So we'll be watching that, and Jeff will be all over it as usual. So lis- listen and read for that in Star Tribune and on this podcast. All right, let's run through a bunch of your questions. Had a bunch of these stacking up, and uh, I want to get to them. <laughs> the first one uh, actually just came this morning uh, from uh, – from Anthony says, uh, Randball seems eerily quiet about the latest Ben Simmons news. Hope he is okay and didn't suffer any sort of medical issues. No, I'm fine. I actually was going to write about it yesterday. You guys know me all too well. Uh, but Chris Hine, our beat writer, was uh, was all over that one yesterday. You should go read that on StarTribune.com. He wrote about that for StarTribune.com and the newspaper, basically comparing the Ben Simmons uh, story to Jimmy Butler, which actually was the direction I was going to go as well. So you can tell our minds are of the same in that regard because I was his editor when the whole Butler thing broke with uh, with the Wolves. But it's kind of the Butler trade in reverse, possibly, right? Because Butler went to Philly, had a, you know the Wolves lost all sorts of leverage, and now um, Ben Simmons is saying, I'm not going to go to training camp with with the 76ers. I never want to play for them again. That was an Adrian Wojnarowski report on Tuesday. So now what's the what's the importance of that is what I want to get to. I think the significance of that is this. What I've been reading over the last couple of months as the Simmons saga had kind of played out. You know, he had the bad playoffs, the assumption of a trade, then then picking up steam, the Wolves interested, other teams interested. Um, the big thing you kept hearing was that Philadelphia kept hoping that they could maximize value, kind of recoup some of his, some of their leverage and some of his value by maybe not making the first deal possible, by maybe even carrying him into the regular season and trying to see, you know, get him back on the court, re- regain some of that chemistry, let him play, let people see that, uh, you know, that he's still a, a high caliber player instead of having the last impression be what you saw in the playoffs where he couldn't shoot, couldn't make free throws, was passing it, passed up a dunk in a key moment when they lost to the Hawks in the uh, Eastern Conference semifinals. So that that all said, that went by the wayside, I think, when, when he makes this, uh, reportedly at least, makes this bold proclamation that he's not going to play for them. That, that takes away a lot of Philadelphia's possible levers that they were going to try to gain back, right? Now you can't just say, well, we're going to wait this out. Now it becomes a camp story. Now it becomes he's not going to report. Now it becomes he's not going to help you on the court right away. And, you know, you're not going to have players in return for him right away unless you make a trade that can help you. And if you've got aspirations to win right away this season, you can't afford to fall. You know, even if you trade him three weeks into the season, you didn't have him. And all of a sudden you're like five and seven without him. That's that's a hole you've dug. So what this does is puts pressure on Philadelphia to make a trade 
sooner rather than later, and I think that plays into the Wolves' hands. Now, what are the Wolves trying to offer? My best guess is it's something like D'Angelo Russell, Malik Beasley, and two lightly protected first-round picks, and I think that's a pretty fair deal. Um, You could also see something like Malik Beasley, Jaden McDaniels, some other salary in those two picks if, if, if Philadelphia doesn't want Russell as part of the deal, I feel like they probably would, even though Russell is not a perfect player by any means. So still, like we, like we've been writing, like we've been saying all along, still feels like a third team is necessary to make this deal happen. If you are the Wolves, you need a team that wants picks and young players because the Wolves don't just have that one star that they would be willing to give up in a swap. they got to keep Anthony Edwards, got to keep Carl Anthony Towns in any trade. I think D'Angelo Russell is movable, but how much does Philadelphia want him becomes the question. So all that said, it's another kind of turn of the screw and a big one in this story, and you could see some movement on this soon because, guys, camp opens in six days. It's not like this is some distant memory or distant, you know, future thing that's going to happen. Training camp starts in six days. Like, this is going to become a thing. Media day is in five days for all these teams. Like, this is going to be a question and this might spur some action between now and then, or at least soon in training camp. So keep an eye out for all of that. And of course, yes, I'll be writing about it and talking about it because I can't stay away from it. Okay, at Zero Dice wants to know, do Zimmer and or Spielman last the year? If not, when do you predict they get fired? Now, I did cover this somewhat on Tuesday's show, so I won't dwell on this too long. But, you know, I think it's an interesting question because I could see this, you know, You've got three home games coming up in a row right now. If things go particularly sideways right now, especially, I mean, if you lose all three, that would include a loss to Detroit. Um, if you get to your bye and you're 0-6 or 1-5, that could be the point where you make a move, right? Because that's that just means you're, you're not going to get done. I know they started 1-5 last season and, and got to 6-6 got to six and, six and and kind of you know rescued at least some some semblance of relevancy last season, but I don't think they can afford to do that again this year. So I think these next four games are very important for that. Now, that said, the Wilfs have been very patient. They like this regime, and I don't see a you know an immediate in-house candidate, especially to replace Mike Zimmer. You know, they could just, at some points it doesn't matter. Like you just you make the move and you get through the year. And, you know, that's that. But, you know, there's, you know, Gary Kubiak's not here anymore. You know, Kevin Stefanski's not here anymore. Like, who would be the obvious choice to replace Zimmer as has head coach, interim head coach for the rest of the year? I think it would probably be Andre Patterson. That'd be my first choice. That'd be the one that I think is the most qualified and certainly has the most, you know, I think, uh, whatever it is with the players that uh, that would you know, that would resonate with the players so that would be my choice but you know again we're getting far down the road there but it could be a consideration like who would who would is there a natural replacement that you would like to give a chance to i don't know that there necessarily is but Andre Patterson i guess like i said would be that guy for me but long story short these next four games are very important i think in the in the grand scheme of their job security Kind of along the same lines, Chicken Finger 69 has a statement says the Minnesota Vikings will secure the number one pick in the 2022 draft, but the team's biggest need, a transformational generational uh, building block quarterback, will not exist in the 2022 playoff. I call it the Timberwolves paradox. That's a lot to take in. I think uh, I don't think the I don't think the Vikings will be that bad. I think this is a team with too much talent. If they are bad this year. Um, and they're 0-2 through seven, you know, through two games in a 17-game season. 
I feel like this is more of like a five, six win team if things go really off the rails this season, not a zero win team or a two or three or four win team even. So we'll see about that. Um, but that is an interesting thing. Like, you know, last year, obviously, if they'd been, you know, tanking for Trevor, they would have had their franchise quarterback this year. And maybe not as deep in quarterbacks if they wind up going that direction. So something to watch out for. You're right. Although I will say this. Kirk Cousins has not been the problem so far, and if you have to have him for one more year next season, even at a big, big cap hit, that's not the worst thing in the world. A couple more here. I got a, got a hot take from Ruslan Botov. Marco Rossi wins Rookie of the Year. Like it. Wild would love that too. Back-to-back Calder Trophy winners, more young talent, um, you know, things like that. He's just, uh, you know, a guy who's very important coming back, obviously from the you know the year he had last year, we had COVID. He had the myocarditis as he kind of came as he tried to come back from COVID. It would be a huge thing for him. It'd be a huge thing for the Wild to have someone playing at that high of a level on an entry level contract. That would put them at another level. And I don't think it's too far fetched to think that Marco Rossi, especially if he's paired up with the right players, especially if he's playing maybe alongside Kaprizov this season, could be that kind of player. So I like the bold take, and I don't think it's that far off. Last one, uh, Jordan wants to know, who's your favorite out of the elite field to win the Twin Cities Marathon? I'd love to hear some coverage of the race in an upcoming show. Got to admit, I don't know who the favorites would be at this moment, but I do want to do some coverage of the sh- of the marathon as we get closer to it. So I will do my best to get some of that, Jordan, and uh, get get some answers for you in the next week or two. Thanks, everybody, for all the great questions and for listening today. Hope you enjoyed it. Like I said, tons of wild stuff coming up on Thursday's show. Friday's show, we'll have Mark Craig on the show to do his picks and a special guest. Won't give that one away yet, but it's going to be a fun one talking about NFL kickers on Friday's show. Thanks for listening today. I'm Michael Rand. Download this podcast. Write a review if you would. We'll see you again on Thursday.